Hello everybody, this is Jake McGrail of CITR Sports Broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus located on the unceded grounds of the Musqueam people. You're listening to Thunderbird Eye on CITR 101.9, always keeping you up to date with the latest UBC Thunderbirds news and stories. For this week's show, Corey Branson sat down with former UBC men's soccer player Jordan Haynes, who recently finished his first season with Canadian Premier League side Pacific FC. Haynes, a second-team Canada West All-Star in 2019, his lone season with the Thunderbirds, talked about a wide range of experiences that he's had in his career to this point, playing in Ontario, the U.S., at university, and as a Canadian youth international, as well as what it was like playing for Pacific FC in the unique bubble setup the CPL had in PEI. Also, we have a bit more varsity news for you in our news roundup, as for the first time since winning the national championship almost a full year ago, the women's soccer team took to the field for an official match on Friday, playing rivals Trinity Western in a friendly. But first, here's Corey Branson speaking with Jordan Haynes. Hello, everybody. I'm Corey Branson with the CITR Sports Collective and Thunderbird Eye, joining you not from campus, but from home. Today, I am here to interview a former Thunderbird athlete, Attending UBC last fall, he joined the soccer program here and made an instant impact, appearing in all but one match on the way to a Canada West title and a fifth place national finish. These days, you'll still find him on the pitch in BC, playing for Pacific FC now in the Canadian Premier League. It's my pleasure to be speaking with Peterborough's finest, Jordan Haynes. Jordan, thank you for being here and welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, I look forward to, to, to being on the show. Great to hear. Alrighty, so let's get started talking about the season that you just had in the Canadian Premier League. It was back in mid-March that the season was first delayed for you folks. You couldn't train, you weren't going to be playing games, everything came to a standstill. What was going through your head when you first heard that news? Um, I had a lot of things racing through my head, actually. Um, whether, oh, is there going to be a season? What do I do now? Am I going to be able to cope with the new, you know, the new norm I guess you could say because everyone had to adjust to COVID not just you know normal business workers schools you know everybody had to adjust that in some way um, and being an athlete where you have to be doing everything you know in person with other people uh, being shut down makes it a lot harder um, so so when it first happened uh, we we um, were sent into you know our own little quarantine we had to train by ourselves um, and when you're used to, to being in a team sport uh, and never playing as a team, it, it's a lot different, right? So or I'm sure tennis players or, you know, say you're allowed to do individual uh, training, it might be a little bit similar. But for uh, myself playing football or soccer, um, it, it was a lot different. Uh, so I had to adjust very quickly and it was, it was quite a difficult adjustment uh, at that as well. Yeah, no, I can definitely imagine uh, moving from the team to the individual aspect. You sort of touched on a follow-up question here, but besides training, how did you pass all that extra time you then had from uh, March all the way up until the end of July when they finally announced the Island Games? Yeah, I actually did somewhat of a cliche kind of, uh, uh, I guess you could not really say project, but um, like a little hobby. Uh, I kind of got into baking, actually. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, unlike other people where they bake and they say it's not for them, uh, I was actually quite good. I don't want to, you know, pump my own tires, but um, I started actually baking for a lot of people on the, on the team and people like in the offices of Pacific. 
Um, and they were, they were like ordering sourdough loaves and whole wheat and banana bread and, you know, cookies, whatever. And I, I didn't get a single bad review, uh, whether they were being nice or not. Um, that's, uh, that's for them to know. And for me to just get told it's good. Um, but no, I, I, I did baking. Um, but other than that, you know, I, I passed some time, you know, just playing video games a lot. Uh, there's a lot of free time. So there, I had to do quite a bit of things. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think we're all in that boat. Um, let me know if you have any good recipes you want to recommend, though. I'm always looking for things. I, uh, home secret, home secret. Ah, uh, gotcha. <laughs> uh, moving back to soccer, though, eventually you did end up in PEI for the start of the season. Um, unlike the situations we have with the NBA or the NHL, we sort of know everything that's going on with the athletes there. Um, but I don't really know much about the athlete experience for your bubble there in Charlottetown. So could you tell us about that experience? Yeah, we um we had we had basically pick uh, everybody up off of two charter flights. So we all so we made sure our travel was as safe as possible to make sure nobody um, got uh, you know say sick with COVID or or infected. Um, and thankfully, everyone got there nice and safe. We tested uh, right away that we got there, and then later, and then after that, it'd be once a week. Um, um, and when it came to COVID, uh, bubble, uh, in, in Prince Edward Island in Charlottetown, we, um, we, we had a pretty set schedule, which was nice. Um, it kind of helps when it comes to, you know, being there for 40 to 45 days or however long, you know, your team lasts in the tournament, um, where we would have scheduled breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, training and treatment times and workouts and, you know, full recovery sessions. Um, and then a lot of free time. Uh, so that, that's kind of how the day to day looked. Uh, every meal was prep, uh, prepared for us. So when we'd show up in the dining room, uh, we would, we would just sit down and have a plated meal in front of us. Um, thankfully, uh, during the, uh, during the bubble time, we, we were actually given an allotted space outside, um, that was still technically inside of our own little bubble. We would be blocked off. So we weren't, we weren't in the general public. It was just, just right at the hotel as well. But we, 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 uh, we had a very nice location. Uh, we were right on the water near the piers. So we could go outside, see the, see the water, you know, see, uh, still enjoy summer, you know, yeah. um, while it lasted. But other than that, you know, we, we play games, train, eat, um, and then the rest of the time was, I guess, free time. And you could, you could use it in the team room where we had like, you know, some lounge areas, uh, some, you know, chess, ping pong, uh, quite a few like leisure activities to do. And then yeah. obviously you could drop into your room and do whatever you wanted to, in your own alone time. That's awesome. And this is sort of a somewhat related question, but had you ever been to Prince Edward Island before? I actually have not. It was my okay. first time. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was wondering that for a lot of the people, I feel like it, I understood the logic in putting the, uh, putting the season there because of the number of COVID cases, but I'm not sure that was unique. Cool. Yeah, I actually had a few things that I liked about PEI. Um, I've, I've been pretty much to every single province in Canada, uh, except for Saskatchewan now. Okay. Uh, uh, but something that I've never seen before was uh, the red sand. Like all the dirt was like red. And when we when we'd go to the beach, we we actually got to go to the beach two times, um, and it was still like within our bubble. Like they closed off the beach for us. Yeah. Um, and it was the sand was red. It was like like there's clay. It was so cool actually. 
Yeah, no, that sounds awesome. Um, now, once you got into actually playing the games, uh, as part of this whole bubble experience, you didn't have any fans attending. Did you find that that was a really big adjustment for you or was it fairly manageable? Um, so coming from playing professionally earlier on in my, I guess, professional career when I first started, obviously I was playing in front of fans all the time and, you know, you go to some away games and, you know, there might be like 10,000 people in the stadium. And same thing with the national team, you know, like you go to say play Panama in Panama, then you'll see like 8,000 people. Same thing with like England, you know, if you play in their home country, there's always a big amount of fans. And uh, now I wasn't in the CPL uh, in the inaugural season, but obviously, you know, there was very good showings for fans. So uh, the norm in the CPL would be to have almost a full stadium wherever you went, uh, depending on if you went to a place with a CFL stadium, right? Like, Hamilton or uh, Winnipeg but um, playing professionally with no fans you know and and we would always go and train at that field so usually you you never train at the field you play so it kind of makes it a um, a different atmosphere right so we were used to being on the field all the time you know we'd see all the teams in the hotel uh, every day um, and then you go to the game and it's just a normal game you know like almost like a a, like a preseason match where, you know, it's just, yeah. you just play 90 minutes, it's a scrimmage. Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't something to adjust to. It was just something I guess you're not used to when it comes to games. So it was quite easy. If anything, it made it a bit easier on us, you know, like it, everybody's comfortable doing that. So, you know, being put into a new setting of the bubble, uh, it might've made the season a little bit easier to adjust to actually in that, in that sense. That's good to hear. Yeah. Now, uh, moving forward, I would like to pivot a little bit to UBC here. I'm talking from a UBC radio station, of course. Um, you talked a little bit about your professional background uh, and your path to campus was a little bit roundabout. You played on teams in BC, Alberta, Ontario, the States, and then you came to UBC, as we mentioned, in 2019. Uh, so what made you come back to the school after so many years spent at the pro level? Um, so I actually, I actually uh, made the decision last year to uh to stop my endeavors of being a professional uh, football player soccer player. um i said i said this is uh, i'm done uh, i'm done trying um i i think i should move on and um um and go to school um i know most people don't really go to school at my age i was 23 when i made the decision um and uh like just freshly 23 uh, most people either go one year or uh, straight out of high school um, and with that decision I thought well I mean obviously I'm still good at football soccer right I shouldn't let it go to waste and I, I had some I had some uh, advice from my family you know some friends saying well you never know like you might still you may be done now but you never know in the future if you want to keep playing and I said okay so I thought uh, I thought three um, reasons for why UBC was the right place for me. Uh, one was the location. I I love I love living out in BC. Um, I love I love the, the the scenery. You know the the, the ocean, the mountains, the trees. Uh, I'm a quite outdoors person, so Vancouver was was great. Um, two, I wanted to you know uh i like playing with familiar faces you know i had quite a few friends from my time playing i've made i've met a ton of people and you know a lot of people i still talk to so i wanted to, so i had 
quite a few friends still actually playing at UBC. That was one thing. And then two, uh, actually four then, sorry. Um, uh, three, the school, I mean, in my opinion, is like the best school in Canada, right? So I, if I had an opportunity to go to any school, I mean, I'd love to go to the best school I could possibly go to, right? Like, yeah, once you're done your graduate, when, right when you graduate, um, you know, some schools mean a little bit more than others, whatever, uh, in some people's eyes, right? So I wanted uh, that reason to go to UBC. And then the last one was, you know, their, I mean, history tells you everything you need to know about how good uh, UBC has been in soccer, you know, the yeah. amount of national championships and the amount of, excuse me, Canada West championships. So I'll, when it came when it came down to making a decision, I thought it was the easiest decision um, I could make, and it kind of made it for me. And I um, I talked to Mitch Perot, um, who's on the team now, still currently, yeah. and got me in contact with uh, Mike Mosier, and um, they were able to get me in on a late uh, a late registration and a scholarship, and it was really quick from there. Awesome. Yeah, we'll always take uh, people talking up about UBC on this show. Happy to hear that you think it's the best uh, best school in Canada. Of course, I, <laughs> I wouldn't want. Uh, looking at that whole UBC experience, though, you played in the one season. Uh, what was your favorite moment being on the team? With UBC, it had to have been uh, winning the Canada West, um, without a doubt. Um, starting starting out the season was a little bit different for me because um, I had been used to you know, playing on teams where solely the purpose is to play football and win, right? Like you, you're there on the team to just play and win. Um, whereas I'm not saying at UBC, nobody wanted to play and win, but they're at UBC for school, you know, like they do both where I only was ever playing football before soccer. And now I had to kind of deal with school and soccer and other people may, you know, maybe more leaning towards soccer. Some people maybe were leaning towards school, but it was a, it was definitely a different atmosphere. So adjusting was a little bit different for me. And then as the season went on, I kind of got more used to it and comfortable. And then right around the time when it was like my best time there, it was like around the time when we were winning. So it kind of just all put into one where, you know, winning the championship uh, and, you know, just enjoying my time there um, synced up perfectly. And I guess it's kind of a, Kind of like a fairy tale ending uh, to the season and to my time there, but um, that, you know, any player or any person that plays sports plays to win, and you know, same thing. So we won. That was that was, I guess, the cherry on top for me. Yeah, one season, one championship. Not much to complain about there. Um, you didn't bring this up, uh, but I'm going to bring it up for you anyway. Uh, against the Golden Bears in the quarterfinals of the Canada West. You scored the only goal in that game, um, a crazy goal, a direct corner kick. I've uh, got to ask you about that one. Was that intentional? Uh, <laughs> so what I will say is I was on set pieces, and I always tried to either put it back post or near post. And um, the wind was with us. So I did try to whip it uh, back post. I was... I'm not going to be the guy that says obviously it was intentional. I'm not trying to score, uh, but it was put where I was trying to put it because we actually had the tactic to, um, since it was windy and it was a very it was a first year goalkeeper on uh, on the Bears. We thought, you know, we should just flood the flood the six yard box. So we put everyone in the box right on the line. So uh, basically, it was you know put it 
swing it in on goal and either it's an own goal or it's a flick or it goes straight in whatever there's a whatever if it's a goal right so i tried to whip it in back post i thought someone was going to head it or and then you know the wind just took it all the way in and it was one heck of a goal <laughs> yeah, that's all she wrote <laughs> no complaints again yeah i just watched the highlight before i had this interview it looks professional like it looks like it does, yeah. yeah it looks like something that somebody in the epl would put out there uh, I'm going to move even further back here, um, going before UBC, uh, in the early life theme, you actually played on the Canadian national team in the under-17 World Cup uh, in the United Arab Emirates. Uh, that was all the way back in 2013. I have no doubt it was an ex incredible experience for somebody that age. Um, but my question for you is, how do you sort of evaluate yourself in your career after you make an early appearance on the international stage? Do you feel like there's added pressure to perform? Uh, once you've already gotten to that level yeah so when you're when you're playing at the highest level there is um for say your age or for your platform um there 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 is definitely always pressure it's whether you feel it or not um i would say when you're younger you feel a lot more pressure because you're not used to stuff you know like the amount of games and experiences i've had since then uh makes it so that i don't really feel pressure and i don't feel nervous um, but back then, I'd be lying if I told you I wasn't nervous playing every game for Canada. Um, you know, competitively, the you, you play you play like small tournaments and you know friendlies against other nations, but you don't ever play an actual competitive game. Excuse me, until the qualifiers and then the actual World Cup. So I had only played like a handful of games when it came to the World Cup itself, um, competitively. That actually meant something, right? So. Going from that, uh, at such a big stage at such a young age, um, you know, I, I was nervous back then. I, um, but having those really, you know, great experiences back then has made it a lot easier for me to, you know, deal with, say, pressure or whatever I'm feeling uh, now because um, you obviously change the way you adapt or act based on what you've done in the past. Um, you know, it's just kind of like small evolution, right? Um, so I would say now, uh, all those experiences have made it a lot easier for me to, to you know, never feel pressure or, you know, uh, do the right thing in the moment that I know because I've done it so many times before. Yeah, it's good to hear. Um, going back as well to that, the qualifiers you talked about briefly, uh, playing in Panama, Panama back then. Um, Going to another individual moment, I think, that was that would stand out on your resume. Um, you, in the third-place match in those qualifiers, had a 119th-minute goal uh, to tie the game against Honduras. Uh, ended up winning it in a penalty shootout. Uh, could you walk us through that moment as well, if you still remember it? <laughs> yeah, oh, I remember the moment. I could, I could close my eyes and I could see every single uh, millisecond as it, as, it, as it played out. Um, the funny thing was, too, I remember afterwards when uh, all my coaches and uh, staff were like saying, when they saw me in the position that I was, they were like, ah, no, anybody but Jordan. And I, was, uh, <laughs> I said, oh, come on. And then, uh, so as it happened, I just remember, um, you know, I, I made a deep run because, you know, we're losing 2-1. And this, was, this had like just been shortly after when uh, our men's national team had that eight goal against. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I guess you could say thriller, but more so embarrassment, right? Yeah. Um, we had, a, I guess, a, 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 a bone to pick 
you know, per se with Honduras. It was a little bit more personal than just a, a, any game. And, you know, down 2-1, extra time, it's dying. And I thought, well, I'm, I mean, let me just make a late run and hopefully the ball comes. And the ball came to me in the box. I remember I remember cutting in on my le- my favorite left foot. And as I'm about to shoot, the defender is right there. And I thought I might have lost him a bit. And then I took another quick touch as it was at my feet. And then all I could think was I'm just gonna I'm just gonna hit it hard and low. And then I put it in the near post. And uh, from there, it's almost blurry because I don't remember the emotions. Like it, I just had no idea what was going on. I didn't really realize what had happened. I just remember celebrating with my team, um, and we were all going crazy. Uh, and the, the great thing about that was, so it was in Panama and that was our third place match. So we won bronze, um, after, you know, I had scored another goal, like you said, in the, in the, uh, in the penalties and then yeah. we won penalties. Um, the, the final, uh, for, for gold was after us and Panama was in that match and, uh, against Mexico. So since our game had taken so much longer to end, right. Yeah, um, people weren't expecting our game to come on, so we had about ten thousand Panamanians in the stands at that time, and they were cheering for us because they hated Honduras. <laughs> so I remember when it happened, I scored, and it was so late, and then uh, the whole full stadium erupted, and it was like it was as if like I was scoring at home for Canada. It was it was it was amazing, like just just to be able to like hear the the roar of the crowd and stuff it was so cool <laughs> a hero in panama to this day <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh, that's awesome um we're gonna move back uh continue with your youth experience here but a couple more years forward um i guess a little bit around the same time as well uh you were with the Whitecaps youth system um there with you as well were a number of players who have ended up uh, on pacific fc or elsewhere in the canadian premier league um the one i wanted to talk to you about was marco carducci uh he's now a keeper for cavalry uh he was with you there for the world cup as well um what's your friendship like with him and what's it like having somebody like that uh on the other side of the pitch uh, in the canadian premier league games it's funny that you've actually mentioned Marco because Marco and I are, are best friends, actually. We, um, we've known each other, like you said, since Whitecaps. Um, but I first met Marco when I was playing in the, the Non-Nations Cup. Um, so it's a, little, turn, it's a little, uh, little mini World Cup for people that are age 12. Um, and it was, you know, it was a way of you know, getting um, boys and girls around the world, um, you know, get a taste of like, what the World Cup was and travel and... Uh, it was sponsored by Denon, the yogurt company, right? Um, and we actually played against each other before uh, my team went off to play uh, as Team Canada in the Denon Nations Cup. So I had first met him when I was 12, actually, and then re-met him again in Vancouver when we were both 16 playing in the um, uh, youth uh, system yeah. uh, residency program of Whitecaps FC. And, you know, we played for a very long time until I had left. Uh, uh, we both left, I think, at the same time. He left from the, the MLS team and I left from the USL team. And then um, we obviously still stayed in contact. You know, we, 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 we were very good friends. Like I said, he's like my best friend. Um, and from my whole uh, time knowing him, I had never played against him. Right. We met oh, up yeah. again in like I said, and then he moved on to play for Cavalry FC. 
um, still on the same uh, same team. And then this was the first time I actually played against them. So it was quite different, you know, when you're always rooting. You you always want you always want your friends and your uh, your people close to you to do well in whatever they're doing. Uh, but this was the one time that I was wishing the worst upon him because we were playing against him, obviously. Um, and, you know, uh, that very first game, it was, it was kind of hard. Like, I saw him throughout the hotel a lot. Yeah. And, you know, we got to talk a lot. And when it came to being on the field with him in the very first game and we won our game, uh, we won 2-1. Uh, I wanted, you know, I'll, like, see him after the game. I thought it would be, like, a really sweet moment. But um, he was very <laughs> – he was very like distraught with the way the game went because they lost and I was like oh I guess that's true and then we played him again in the in the second stage of the playoff yeah uh, at the tournament and we lost and he was thinking oh let's I'm gonna have a really sweet moment with him after <laughs> I'm like I'm like no I, I'm not having this like I'm um, I'm pissed off right now like I don't want to see you <laughs> so it was very funny to be like I was, I was my best friend but like I don't want to see you right now and you know, I kind of hate you. <laughs> yeah. One of these days, you two will play in a draw, and then you can both be happy. Yeah, yeah you'll have the moment. Either both happy or both sad. It'll be one of the two. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Looking forward to that. Now, doing a lot of the research that I did for this interview, uh, I was looking back and I saw you mentioned your family quite a lot. Uh, you mentioned them earlier in this interview. Um, what has been their impact on your professional growth? How have they supported you throughout your journey? Um, I've always said this, uh, so yes, family is very important to me, but my career would have never either gotten to where it is now or happened at any stage of a career, um, without my family. Um, I give so much credit to them, um, because when I was younger, so I grew, I grew up in a smaller city, uh, in Ontario called Peterborough and, you know, Peterborough is not a soccer city. It's. Well, it's turning more so now, but back when I was growing up, it was a, it was a hockey city. Uh, we have a, a local OHL team called the Peterborough Peets. And, you know, the, 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 the cool thing or the big thing to do there, like someone in Vancouver playing soccer growing up wants to play for Vancouver Whitecaps. You know, everybody growing up in Peterborough wants to play for the Peets, you know, at some stage, if say before they go NHL, whatever, right? Uh, so in Peterborough, soccer was second or third or fourth hand at, at that. So for me to be able to have made it to where I am now, um, I had to do a lot of traveling to Toronto at a very young age and very often four or five times a week, uh, six sometimes if, you know, if there's a game and we trained every day of the week. Um, and it's about an hour and a half drive one way without traffic. And you can imagine how bad the 401 can get um, <laughs> during rush hour. And yep. it can be some two and a half hours. Uh, standstill on the highway and my family stuck with it the whole way you know some days I didn't want to go because of whatever reason and you know they you know gave me the gave me the the passion and courage to go and you know they I remember talking to them because we always talk about looking back at my my growing up uh, as a as a young player and they said there were days when they didn't want to go but they knew they had to because I I wanted to go and it was going to be best for me um yeah, the, uh, the, and then even just like growing up now, like I still am very close to my family, you know, I'll, I'll FaceTime them, you know, once a week, twice a week or whatever, just to say, say hi, talk to my mom, talk to my dad, talk to my brother. Um, so I'm still very close with them, even though I've not lived at home for a very long time, um, just because I love them so much and everything they've done for me is, uh, is uh, something I know that most people wouldn't do for their families, unfortunately. 
So I'm very, very grateful for everything they've done for me. Who would we be without our families? Very true. Um, we're finally going to bring this back full circle here. We've gone through your past quite a bit, but to the present day, looking ahead to next season, hopefully we'll see some normalcy again. Uh, during this off season, though, what is the one major improvement that you're really working on in your game? So, um, one thing that I'll say before I say what I'll be working on is this is the first year that I actually know for a fact what I'm going to be doing next year. Um, and the, you know, like the nerd, like the calmness of, of that being able to know what I'm going to do next year helps me so much more prepare for it. Um, because if I don't know what I'm doing, I don't know what I have to prepare for. Right. So I know I'm going to be here for year two, uh, of my, of my, of my years at Pacific, uh, year three for them as a club. Um, so it'll help me prepare that much more because I know what I have to do now. Um, so one thing I think I, I could really work on um, is the physical side. Um, you know, I've always been a guy that loves to run. I don't care about doing the dirty work and, you know, tackling, getting stuck in or working hard and running a lot. Uh, I have no problem with that. But uh, men's football is a different game when it comes to the professional side. And um, especially as a defender, uh, I want to get like stronger and be able to you know, hold my ground better. So I, I want to, I've, uh, I've already started like talking with our strength and conditioning coach uh, here at Pacific and I'm going to be going through a program in the off season, hopefully put on a few, uh, few uh, healthy pounds of, of uh, lean muscle and be able to, you know, become that much more stronger and uh, fitter and more powerful. righty. Well, I look forward to seeing the bigger, stronger Jordan Haynes on the field next season. Me too. Me too. All right. So we're almost at the end here. Jordan, I have to admit to you now, it's tradition on this show. I have to dig into the social media accounts of the people that I interview. So I'm not going to ask about your high school girlfriends or anything like that. Uh, first off, though, in April of 2015, you said on your Twitter you were writing a book, Conversation Never Ends. How's that going? <laughs> oh, man. I actually don't even remember I said that. That's hilarious. So... Oh, no, no. I know why. I know why. Sorry. So I haven't written anything. Okay. But I'm getting a lot of content ready for the book with the way my life has been. So I've always been a guy um, growing up still as an adult. Uh, people know it. Um, I know it. I never shut up. I'm always talking. I'm always asking people questions. Uh, I never try to do it in a nagging way, like when you're a little kid and you just want attention. I actually do want to know answers to certain things. And it always ends up leading into, I get an answer, and now that's made me get, have a new question based on what the response was on the first question. Um, so my conversations are always never ending <laughs> for the one reason that I, I will never let them end. Um, so that's, that's <laughs> it'll be one great book if I write it because the conversation will literally never end. <laughs> Sounds good. Keep an eye out in your local chapters, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Alrighty. A uh, bit more serious, actually. Uh, around the same time, I think it was August of 2015, uh, you were tweeting a lot about Arsenal at that time. Uh, but in between those tweets about Arsenal, um, you said, it sounds very poignant, very erudite. You said, my biggest fear is not being successful. Um, reflecting on that, um, you talked earlier in this interview about the fact that you actually stopped pursuing a career in professional soccer. Uh, and you rerouted to school, and now you've ended up in that career again. Considering everything, how do you define success for yourself? So 
I think success is very perspective based. Um, something that would make someone successful in their eyes might be completely different in my eyes. But I think um, a way to define it to make success um, the same for everyone is not doing um, what you set out to do or accomplishing a goal. Um, it is for me doing something that makes you happy and fulfilling. Um, so I'm obviously, I've obviously had different goals throughout my life. Um, and my biggest fear was to not be happy with myself with whatever I set out to do. Um, whether it be, say I wanted to be, I mean, I'm, I don't want to, but say I want to be the prime minister of Canada. If, if I did, if I set that goal out, I wrote it out and I said, I want to be prime minister of Canada by 2030. Um, and say it never happened, then you might think I'm unsuccessful. But say I did it and I wasn't happy and I don't want to do it and I, this, is not, this isn't me, then in my eyes, I'm not successful even though I did the goal. Um, so for me, the fear of being unsuccessful isn't a very like shallow, oh, I want to do, I want to be great. I want to do all X, Y, and Z that will make me famous and people will love me. Um, I couldn't really care less about that. It's more, it's more so the success of uh, being happy and fulfilling myself. And that's, that's, what, that's what would scare me um, in life is not being happy and fulfilling. I really like that answer. I think that's something that we can all resonate with. Yeah. Alrighty. One last question for you here, Jordan. I was Ready. scrolling through your Instagram and I could not get away from the constant photos of you on top of a mountain or in front of a lake. Uh, you clearly like to hike a lot. You mentioned you're really outdoorsy. So I got to ask top three hikes in BC. I can easily give you my number one, um, my number two and my number three, actually, because uh, like you said, I've been on uh, quite a few. Like I said, it was the, one of the reasons that brought me back out here. Um, number three would have to be the gross grind. No, I'm kidding. I absolutely hate the gross grind. <laughs> every time I had to do it was for fitness and you had to beat a certain score and you're not having fun the entire time because all you're doing is looking at your feet and you're walking at the next step. You don't get to see anything. And sometimes you'd go against your will because so you don't even get to choose a good day to go. You know, you go and it's pouring rain. It doesn't matter. You go to the top of the, top of the, the, the mountain, you make it. Clouds everywhere. You don't see anything. You know, it's just an awful experience. Um, that being said, I, I have enjoyed it when I go leisurely with, say, family or friends. Uh, but it's not my top three. Um, number three would actually have to be Mount Seymour. Um, I loved it up there because of the amount of, I guess, panoramic views you could see, right? When you're on, when you're on grouse, you know, you see out one way and then you see out the other way. And, like, there's trees in certain places and you can't, like, you can't like sit on the very top of the peak and see everything, you know, when I'm, when I was, at, I was very bare up at the top. Right. Um, and you could see everything, you know, you could see, you could see Vancouver, you could see North van, you could see Burnaby, you could see the ocean, you could see uh, the Indian arm, you could see all the other mountains back going all the way up into the interior. Right. Like there was so many amazing views you could see that I just loved. I loved it for that one reason. Um, two, would have to be going up to Garibaldi Lake. Yeah. Um, the first time I went, I actually went on a camping trip. So it was kind of a more experience rather than um, just the hike itself. Um, and it, when I first, when I had gone, it was like just the beginning of 
of summer. So when we were up there, it was still snow and like the lake was frozen. So it may be silly for you to hear me say, or anybody hear me say, um, I liked it because there was snow and it was a frozen lake and I didn't really see the actual views. But it was more or less like I had never gone hiking and been able to see that kind of side of, you know, the uh, outdoors, right? Like most of the time you think, oh, it's summer, I want to go do stuff. And when it's wintertime, you don't really want to go and do the same things. But a winter hike is actually quite cool. It's very peaceful. Um, there's a lot less people. Um, I remember waking up like, or, or getting into my tent, sorry, when it was just like uh, dawn, right? Like, uh, you know, you couldn't see the sun because of the, you're kind of in a, a little bit of a valley at the lake. And then you just kind of see a little bit of blue sky just happening. And like, it's on the one side, it's uh, the sun's coming up and it was one of the most peaceful moments I've had. And then number one easily takes the cake. It's at the same location, uh, but it's called Panorama Ridge. So you hike first to Garibaldi, right? And then you continue your hike and you go all the way back through um, Black Tusk Meadows. And then you walk the backside up. So you kind of have no views the whole way when you're going through the meadows and you're coming up the backside of the mountain. So you don't see anything. And then right when you get to the top, it's called Panorama Ridge because obviously you know it's a big long ridge you can go along the whole uh, the whole the whole ridge itself um it's not just like one little peak but panorama exactly for the same reasons where you just see literally everything once you get to the top you can see black uh, black tusk you can see the meadows you can see the the glaciers on the other side of the lake you can see the lake you can see where you came from you know you can see everything and um it was the best view i've ever seen in my life um, and to this day, since going, I actually still have that photo as my background on my uh, phone. Oh, yeah. Just because of the time I had that I went with uh, two of my best friends at the time. Uh, Marco, Marco Carducci was actually one of the people that oh, went no on the flight. Yeah. Uh, so it was one of the best times of my life, I remember. And uh, yeah, so that photo is still on, uh, on, my, on my wallpaper. Yeah. Sounds awesome. It's top of my list is Panorama Ridge. I still haven't done it. So you're inspiring oh, yeah. me to get out there. Yeah, got to do it. Alrighty, uh, that's going to wrap up our interview today. Uh, in the past, he was a hero in Panama. In the present, he's a wondrous baker. And in the future, he'll be a New York Times number one best-selling author. Uh, congrats on the season that you just had with Pacific FC. Uh, good luck for next season and beyond. Thank you so much. I had a lot of fun being on the show too, and uh, I can't wait to I can't wait to be the number one seller in uh, New York Times. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait either. Ready? This has been Corey Branson with the CITR Sports Collective and Thunderbird Eye, joined by Jordan Haynes of Pacific FC and formerly of the UBC Thunderbirds soccer team. Thank you all for listening. Thank you again to Jordan for coming on the show. We will now have a quick break for ads and PSAs before we get to the news roundup and the Thunderbirds alum of the week. Without the help and support of our friends, we here at CITR wouldn't be able to bring you all the great music, art, cinema, and culture that you love. Thanks to the long-standing support from the Rio Theater, we are able to keep you informed on all the great artists, films, and everything else coming to town there. For all the current information about who and what's playing at the Rio Theater, visit their website at www.riotheater.ca.
Do you like laughing, hilarity, radical thought-provoking creativity, and laughing? UBC Improv is UBC's home for improvisational comedy, theater made up on the spot. Like us on Facebook to learn when our next shows are. Search for us on YouTube for our film sketches. And follow us on Twitter because we want the followers. UBC Improv. Insert cheesy slogan here. Let's get it on. Welcome back. You're listening to Thunderbird Eye on CITR 101.9. Now here's Liz Wang with the News Roundup, followed by Byron Wang with the Thunderbirds Alum of the Week. Hello everyone, this is Liz Wang bringing you the most up-to-date Thunderbirds news of the week. On October 2nd, Canada West released an announcement stating that the league will delay their decision on whether to resume the season in January or not due to the ongoing COVID-19 situation in Canada. The decision will be made no later than November 2nd. Earlier this week, Ontario and Quebec made a declaration of the start of the second wave of COVID-19 in the provinces. BC also faces a steadily growing rate of infections since August, which leaves the situation on hold. Following feedback from student-athletes, the conference board of directors voted earlier this week to delay the decision on second-term competition, allowing as much time as possible to access the feasibility of conference play returning given the evolving COVID-19 environment. Friday's announcement pertains to the following second-term team sports, that's including basketball, hockey, volleyball, rugby sevens, along with Canada West Championship in curling, swimming, track and field, and wrestling. UBC also saw another alarm named to the Canada West Hall of Fame last Tuesday. Pat Onstead was a goalkeeper in the UBC men's soccer team during the early 1990s, leading the team to four conference championships and three national titles. Following his time at UBC, Allstadt would see his pro career flourish eventually landing in MLS with the San Jose Earthquakes and the Houston Dynamo. He won three MLS Cups in 2003, 2006, and 2007, and was named MLS Goalkeeper of the Year in 2003 and 2005. He also recorded 60 caps for Canada. Amidst a pandemic situation, the defending youth sports national championship UBC women's soccer team hosted their longtime rival, Trinity Western, in an exhibition contest at Thunderbird Stadium on Friday, October 9th. Due to strict public health guidelines, no fans were permitted in attendance at Thunderbird Stadium. UBC and Trinity Western met in the 2019 conference semifinal, where the birds punched their ticket to the national championship tournament with a 1-0 victory. And it was a similar story on Friday, as UBC won 1-0 over the Spartans, with Michelle Jang scoring the long goal from the penalty spot. And that concludes Thunderbirds news for this week. Next up, Barry Wan will take it away with the Thunderbirds alarm of the week. And thank you, Liz. For those tuning in for the first time, this segment, which we call Alum of the Week, looks at a former UBC athlete's life, not only in the world of sports, but what their life is like outside of athletics as well. And with no time frame in mind, there will be stories from all throughout the history of UBC athletics. And this week's alum is a familiar name, not only in the eyes of Thunderbirds, but an icon to athletes worldwide. You might have heard him from a lot of different things. His name is Rick Hansen. Born August 26, 1957 in Port Alberni, Hansen suffered a broken spine injury at the age of 15, which left him paralyzed from the waist down. 
Having been a sports fanatic ever since he was a child, his disability didn't stop him from pursuing his dreams, and he became the first disabled person to enroll and obtain a degree in the UBC School of Physical Education. And in his time at UBC, Hansen made a name for himself in the athletic world, including being named both the BC and Canadian Physically Disabled Athlete of the Year in 1980 after setting the world record in the 800-meter wheelchair track event. He also played on five national champion wheelchair basketball teams and the national champion volleyball team, as well as winning championships in wheelchair tennis and racquetball. And alongside his athletic endeavors, Hansen's main quest was to raise public awareness of the accomplishments and potential of the physically disabled and motivate them into rediscovering respect for who they were. Of his accomplishments, his most well-known feat was his Man in Motion World Tour, which was a 40,000-kilometer, 34-country journey around the world by wheelchair, initiating a worldwide fund for spinal cord research, rehabilitation, and wheelchair sport. In 1987, two years after the start of his project, Hansen finished his journey and managed to raise a total of $24 million. And today, as the CEO of Rick Hansen Man in Motion Foundation, Hansen remains an inspiration through his motivational speaking and continuously raising money, having raised over $200 million for spinal cord research and access gains for people with disabilities. And that will wrap up this week's Alum of the Week. And with that, thank you for tuning in to Thunderbird Eye on CITR 101.9. Besides listening to the show, the best way to keep up to date with UBC Thunderbirds news is to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at CITR Sports. For Thunderbird Eye, this has been Jake McGrail, Corey Branson, Liz Wang, and Byron Wang. Thank you for tuning in, and have a great rest of your day.